It was a lovely place, lovely time of life. Um, are you from the Austin area? Originally, no. I'm, I'm from Buffalo, New York. Buffalo, New York. Been in the Austin area for how long? I've been here this time since 2000. So I'm working my fourth year. But uh, I lived here for uh, about five years, uh, 2009 to 2014. Then I moved back to Malaysia for a year. Uh, then I was in North Carolina for about uh, four years, five years. Wow. What were you doing in Malaysia? So my wife is Malaysian. My son is Malaysian. Um, I, I had lived there for four years uh, running a security company. And then um, in, in, in 2015, I went back to actually run the International Crisis Room for a year. Wow. That's awesome. That's that's a, a whole new life perspective for me. I haven't I haven't spent very much. I haven't spent any time on the eastern side of the world um, and uh, only virtually have I had that experience. What's Malaysia like? What are your favorite things about Malaysia and what are some of the most surprising things? So the one I guess the, the, the thing that most people would be surprised about, I guess, is because um, a lot of people think of Malaysia as almost a third world country, uh, but uh, they're actually very developed. And it's, it's more of a developing nation. And a lot of people there do speak English. Um, even though it's an Islamic country, um, there, there's a lot of modern things there. Because you have the Chinese culture there. You have the Indian culture there. So the Islamic culture doesn't do it does kind of dominate the culture. But, I mean, it's, it's um, not all you see there. So you don't have all the Islamic rules uh, as you would in, 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 like, Saudi Arabia or somewhere like that. Um, the thing that I really like about Malaysia is it's like Hawaii, but at one tenth the cost. <laughs> so oh, that's cool. It's beautiful there. It's you know it's tropical. It's uh it's either hot or hot and rainy, and uh, every day, and um, it's 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 a beautiful country. That's awesome. Uh, I gotta I gotta check that out. Um, it's that that is one of the fun things about living abroad when you find the uh, there are certain economies where the dollar carries further. Um, Mexico being one of them. I spent quite a bit of time in Mexico and man, you could get the best food. Yeah. Like just amazing, amazing food at, at super affordable prices. Um, and then the connection of the people, um, I also found to be, um, amazing where, you know, if you're spending time with one family next thing, you know, half the neighborhoods there, um, hanging out with each other, making friends, um, you know, just, just hanging out. And I don't, I don't set too often in the States. It's hard to find those types of communities nowadays. Yeah, we. Um, I, I got married in Malaysia also, and um, we were going to do like a, a little reception just in the neighborhood. And where my wife's from, it's, it's a tiny town, really, um, called Port Dixon. And of course, you know, being an American guy in, in Port Dixon, uh, marrying a local Malaysian person, that's not very common. So we had planned on about 100 people coming to our reception area and kind of cooked for 120 people or so. But uh, my aunt had gone out and told people, hey, my, my niece married a you know a white guy from Malaysia, I mean, from from America. And everybody, everybody came in droves. I mean, we had over 200 people show up. So, oh, that's funny. Pretty incredible, actually. A lot of spectators, that's fun. <laughs> yeah. And uh, all right, so as far as, as far as leadership goes, we're gonna be exploring the gap between leadership and training. Uh, what is your favorite leadership book and what is your favorite book on training? Uh, so that's really interesting. So my favorite leadership book, um, listen, I, I've read hundreds of books. It's really hard to pinpoint down a book really that was 
uh, super influential. I kind of like to look at the books that I'm sometimes I'm either reading or rereading uh, right now. Uh, believe it or not, I've actually gotten back to the seven habits of highly effective people. Um, it goes back to the same thing. When I look at leadership books that I've read, I, you know, I went through that gamut of, because as when I was running a company, I was looking for can those tips, how can I, how can I get an edge? What can I do to make, you know, this company give it something better? How can I train my people a little better? What can I do for everybody? Um, and I went through all the books that tell you, you know, the, the Toyota corporate ways and, and the Apple ways and all those leadership books of Steve Jobs and all these grandiose leaders that, yeah, they, they had they achieved wonderful things, but they weren't really applicable to what I was doing. Um, I was running a company with, at the time, I remember we had 300 guards. Um, so, you know, we had, as far as employees went, we had quite a few employees. Uh, we had quite a few customers. And I was, when I looked at that edge, I just didn't find it really in the leadership in the business books. Um, and I went back to, it, it really came back to, you know, who am I being as a leader? What can I use, you know, in, in, me going out there and this will go back to branding. You know, when you're talking about who am I, when I go out and I talk to my customers, how can I get the most out of that? So yeah, I, I really want to get back to the books that are about who I'm being. And even in, in the training area, um, you know, I don't, I haven't really read a ton of train, like training type books. It goes back to um, branding. You was a, is a great book. Uh, if you, if you really look at, a lot of the training I'm doing nowadays, like the practice leadership is all about who you're being as a leader. And then you take that out into the world so that, you know, I like to talk about if you think of things that leaders do, uh, feedback reviews, coaching, inspiring, uh, you know, running teams, things like that. You, know, you can't coach somebody if you're not relatable as a person. You can't coach somebody if you don't have confidence in yourself. Uh, so it's going back to some of that. Believe it or not, some of the best coaching material I'm getting right now, if you're going back to some of the stuff that David Hawkins did, and it wasn't he wasn't really talking leadership per se. Uh, he's talking like the scales of consciousness. And, and that, that will all go back to who you're being. And um, people don't look at that as leadership books. But I think if you really get down to who you are as the leader, uh, then you'll really start to do some self-reflection. And, and I think that really helps when it comes to leadership. Absolutely. I think that's awesome. Um, you know, in fact, one of the resources, uh, seven highly effective, seven habits of highly effective people um, by Stephen Covey. And one book I normally um, in a in a non secular environment that I wouldn't bring up. But if I'm being fair to the audience, one of my favorite books on leading and teaching is called teaching in the Savior's way. Um, and it's a book about how Christ would teach um, and, and help people progress. Um, and applying that to our own teaching styles. Um, so there are, there's lots of different resources. David Hawkins, I'm going to look up. I don't know who that is. Um, so that's, that's a new resource on my radar that I look forward to. And we'll, uh, we'll dive back in after the break. All right. Welcome in to Vision Pros Live with Jackson Callum. I'm your show host. We'll be doing interviews for visionary entrepreneurs and guest leaders who are building fantastic visions out there. Hey there, and welcome into another episode of Vision Pros Live. I'm your show host, Jackson Callum, founder and CEO of First Class Business. I got George Wheeler joining me today. George Wheeler is a leader that helps people bridge the gap between leadership and training. We're going to be looking at exploring how he goes about doing that. And he's got a few decades of wisdom under his belt, both leading in the United States, 
um, as well as leading in Malaysia, um, where his wife and son, uh, well, I guess his son would then be uh, half American, half Malaysian, much like my youngest daughter is half Mexican and half uh, United States of American. Um, so the uh, anyway, without further ado, let's dive into some of these sponsors real quick. Um, talk about the water project a little bit and then bring George on stage. So uh, first things first, the wellness shop, 365 with Sean and Juliana Lechuga. Um, Sean and Juliana uh, believe in an integrative nutrition, health and wellness uh, program. They're all about helping people become healthy, not just from a diet standpoint and an exercise standpoint, but this wheel of life always draws my attention. This is why I initially was like, wow, I, I want to know what they're up to because it centers around the idea of, of a more holistic approach to health, joy, spirituality, creativity, finances, career, education, et cetera. And, and that's when I'm looking for somebody to help me with my health. I'm looking for somebody who is really looking more at who I am as a person, what I want to accomplish as an individual, again, beyond what I would call the, the vanity aspects of health. No, don't get me wrong. I appreciate looking good. Um, I appreciate uh, you know, I would love to have a, a six pack as well um, and make sure that my physical health and appearance looks good. But at the end of the day, uh, that's that should be a reflection of my holistic well-being um, and how I show up as a, a father and how I show up as a businessman, but also how I show up for myself and improving my life. And I found Sean and Juliana to be uh, excellent friends. Um, in addition to excellent people and, and very resource, resourceful when it comes to um, uh, looking at my health as holistically as possible. Then there's Melissa Gray in the Law Spot. Um, uh, this is an interesting one. I, I used to say uh, that I, I, don't, I don't like to work with two different types of entities, lawyers and financial people. Um, and the reason why is because most lawyers I come across and most financial people I come across, uh, if you ask them what their goals are, their tendency is to turn into that that Toby Keith song. I want to talk about me, um, and they talk all about the, their own personal goals and what they're up to in life for themselves. And uh, you know, we all have we all have selfish tendencies tendencies. But um, I do find that most of the people in those spaces um, they have a hard time coming up with why they do what they do for the people they serve. That was not the case when I met Melissa Gray. Um, I was so impressed with what she was up to how she's going about building a, I don't want to call it a middle ground ter territory, but actually a more balanced approach to providing legal services and legal counsel and advice to entrepreneurs. So as I got to know her and see how much of a nurturer she was and see the expertise that she had, I also started to think about the entrepreneurs I work with. And the reality is I would say 90 to 95% of the entrepreneurs that I work with do not have legal counsel picked out and ready to go. And that's a huge liability for anybody who's striving to scale, especially people who also want to abide by the reality that we should be wise stewards of our opportunities in life. It's hard to be a wise steward if we don't have the resources available to protect us or to set us up for success by our side. So if you um, are interested in making sure that you have the right legal counsel, thelawspot.com is one of the one of the entities that I highly recommend interviewing and seeing. If it makes sense to, to engage in conversations with Melissa, um, you can always find out more on her website. And then, of course, there's the water project. And we've got we've got so much opportunity in life, um, so much abundance. If we're listening to a podcast right now, uh, even if life is hard, we have more abundance than we realize. Meanwhile, 
there are millions of people who don't even have access to clean drinking water. So my proposal to you, my request and my invitation is if you're in a position to give back, consider this organization. If you're not in a position to give back, but you're in a position to share this with others, and please feel free to do so, um, you'll notice that it's set up much like a crowdfunding page. You actually get to pick the community that you'd like to support, see how many people live in that community. And when they finish, as they finish the projects rather, the teams do social media updates to show you what's going on in that area. You actually get to see your dollar applied to a specific project and the outcome and how it affects those specific communities. I think it's one of the most uh, transparent and awesome causes that I've ever seen. And uh, they specifically look for areas and regions of Africa where it's it's hard to access these villages. It's, it's unlikely for them to receive help from an external source in those villages without this particular cause and entity in play. Um, and again, I, I just love and admire what they've, what they've done with the water project. If you again have the opportunity to get back, awesome. If you know of a cause that's near and dear to your heart that also matters that I don't talk about, then I'll, of course, feel free to drop that link in the comments. It's not as much of a competition as it is an opportunity to realize that we have the capacity, many of us, to give back, promote, or support multiple opportunities, multiple causes. And there's 8 billion people in this world that we can come together and serve. So thank you for giving me your time and attention on that. Now, um, as far as George Wheeler goes, um, George Wheeler is the Senior Director of Solutions and Implementation at Overhaul. Uh, he wrote a book called Zen Employee, um, definitely worth checking out. Um, you know, and, and in addition to that, um, he is the co-founder of Protecting Beacons of Hope and the Global Security, he does Global Leadership, Global Security Leadership, and he's on the Board of Advisors for International Crisis Room 360. Um, he's been on that board or at least with that organization for over eight years now. Um, so as an author, as a leader, as a trainer, there's a whole lot of opportunity to learn from his wisdom. And without further ado, George Wheeler, welcome to Vision Pros Live. Jackson, thank you very much for having me here today. I appreciate all everything that your organization does. Thank you um, very much. And, you know, let's uh, we might come back to David Hawkins uh, or I might just lace that into our, our first question. Feel free to pick that up how you'd like. Since I, I haven't heard of him myself and you mentioned him as a as a leader and trainer. Um, as we do that, what's your vision for those that you serve? You know, when you look at leadership, you look at people who are generally, a lot of times they're trying to achieve something themselves. But, you know, Zig Ziglar said, you know, you can have everything in life that you want if you help enough other people get what they want. Yeah. So truly, I think when you're looking at what I want for people that I serve, and let me get this straight, you know, I serve everybody. If people report to me, you know, I always said it's my job to make my boss successful. But at the same time, mm -hmm. it's my job to make the people that report to me successful. So I'm serving absolutely everybody, all all levels of the organization that I meet. And again, whether it's customers or anybody else, you know, it's our job to make sure that we're setting them up for success. And, and that's really what I'm, I'm trying to do at all times is, is I ask that question, how can I help you? And I mean it. How can I help you? What do you need help with? And if I can't help you, this is why I built a giant network on LinkedIn. Let me connect you with somebody who I can help, who can help you. Yes, I saw that. Now you're you're approaching thirty thousand connections on LinkedIn, um, or, yeah. or followers. One of the one of the two, and that's amazing. Um, 
And, you know, it's that's actually this very similar question that that I like to lead with. I'm grateful for I don't know if it was Zig Ziglar or if it was John Maxwell, um, Darren Hardy or somebody similar that gave me that line. But there was a massive shift in effectiveness in my networking when I began to lead with the question, how can I help you best? Yeah. So, you know, when I when I was running the, the International Crisis Room 360, when you're doing leadership at crisis level, um, you have to be extremely well connected, especially when you're training it. You know, I had to be extremely well connected because people were coming to me and they had problems. Um, and, and obviously I'm not an expert in everybody's problems, but if I'm not, then I made it my goal to, to know somebody else who could help you with those problems. So when I would connect with people on LinkedIn, for example, the first thing I always tell them is, you know, I'd love to have you part of my, as part of my network. And I want you to know that I actually do use my network. I'm not selling because a lot of times you get a connection with somebody on LinkedIn, especially nowadays, the next email or message you get from them is I'm trying to sell you something. Hmm. I was never trying to sell anybody anything. I was always trying to give value, give value. How can I help you? What, what can I do for you? And there were organizations that reached out to me and said, you know what? I need to find a new security manager, for example, in Bangladesh. Can you help me? And they, I mean, they had zero contacts in Bangladesh or zero resources really to, to really understand how to find a person that would be qualified to be a, a security manager at the level that they needed in Bangladesh. I reached out to my network and I would say within 48 hours, I had 24 contacts for them, people who were qualified for the positions that they wanted. And they, they really came back like, that was so amazing. So not only do we, not only will we be able to fill the top level position that we're looking for, but every level underneath that with all the candidates that you provided us. So it's, it's, it's wow. when you're networking, that's what it's all about. It's asking, how can I help you? That's amazing. Um, you know, it, and it is interesting. There's a lot of people on uh, LinkedIn. They're using automation. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of pitching that takes place. Um, you know, I, I, I tend to call LinkedIn the spam jungle because um, that's what it feels like. We're constantly trying to wade through um, as you as you look for the right people. Um, is but but you're telling me that in spite of that you're creating lots of opportunities for lots of people by just being a being willing to connect person a to person b is that correct uh, absolutely that's correct yes yeah good and, awesome. and not looking for anything in return I, I i do it because people need help um you know it, it's through the network on linkedin for example we had a a, a major cargo theft actually in in asia and uh, a U.S. Uh, assurance company was actually trying to investigate it. And so one of their investigators reached out to me and said, George, I know you've got contacts in Asia. Can you re can you help me find somebody who can help me with this investigation? And, um, you know, when I, when I reached out and reached out to their person, they're, they're happy to help each other because maybe I'm not looking for anything in return other than the fact that I can help you. But, you know, this other person, yes, I can now I can actually do some work for you. And then these people get paid for the work that they do. And I'm not, I'm not a broker. I don't ask for a cut or anything like that. I just, uh, again, it's, it's all about serving and giving back to the communities. Absolutely. That's awesome, man. Uh, so what's your vision for you, George? You know, I, I've always looked at my, my growth. Um, I can't continue growing unless I'm helping other people to grow. So one of my mentors, Tom Hall, he's one of the most fantastic people I think I've ever met in my life. And one day I had, I had given a training to my people and really I had given some, some, some one of those, I call them Tom Hall um, wisdoms in, in during that training. 
of, of something that they can do to really help themselves with their growth and everything else. And then uh, several months later, I, I was in an, I was in a training that one of my people were, were giving to, to his team now. And he used that same story that I had given from Tom Hall. And I realized at that moment, I was like, you know, Tom Hall doesn't realize how much of an effect he has because he taught me something. I taught it to somebody. Now this person is teaching it to another group. And Tom, you know, he worked with several people across the United States and he will never know the impact, the positive impact that he's had on all of these people and, and, and how wide his influence will reach. Uh, he's built a huge legacy and maybe he knows it, maybe he doesn't, but I've done my best to go back and tell him, you know, about this process too. And, and, and just, helping him to realize, Tom, you've helped so many people in your life. And I think it's, you know, you get a lot of people when they come up here and they speak and they can say, I've done this, I've done that, I've done all these things. And that's great. Um, but if you get somebody else saying, you know, George really helped me with this, or, you know, I, I was able to get uh, to another level in my career or in my life, you know, because of something that I learned from, from George. So it's really, that's my advantage in, is to just go through being at my highest self, living my highest self that I can affect other people to be their highest self. I love that. That's uh, in, in modern, uh, I don't know, I guess, influencership. Um, and maybe this has been talked about for, for decades and years, but I've heard it more so recently. That's there's this fourth stage of influence, um, you know, where once you're gone, you know, your, your influence maintains. That would be the, the Gandhis of the world. The Buddhas of the world, the Jesus Christs of the world, Martin Luther King, you know, uh, it's on our hymns. It's his day passed yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, they made such an impact in their ability to help others that their influence continues to carry even even after they've passed away. Um, so the Tom Halls um, of the world in that case. And I think it's a beautiful vision. Um, you know, if we go about learning and you, you those types of people, they achieved that level of influence not because they were seeking it per se and they weren't seeking attention um it was about the impact that they made um was so profound that it, you know nobody really can slow it down it just it just exists because of what they chose to do um let's talk about david hawkins a little bit i'm still super curious about that who who's david hawkins i know who stephen hawkins is i don't know who david hawkins is though David Hawkins at one time ran one of the largest um, psychiatric, I think, uh, businesses in America, um, based on New York. But he had a uh, he had a an enlightening moment, so he became enlightened, basically. And you take take somebody who truly understood psychiatry and and human development and human beings. Um, and add a level of enlightenment to that. And first of all, it just doesn't, doesn't happen to somebody who's so scientifically oriented generally has a PhD in psychiatry. They don't go on to become enlightened beings generally. Mm -hmm. um, so you take somebody with that wisdom. I'm, I'm here to tell you that if you, if you read his books, they're a little hard to read because yeah. just well, part of it was just man had a vocabulary that was incredible. And um, half the time you look at the words and you have to kind of take a wall. He's using it in this context. So I'm understanding what he's saying, but I didn't really ever, never heard that word before. <laughs> so yeah. his books are a little hard to read, but I, I, I listen to a lot of audible books. So if you get his power versus force, truth versus falsehood, um, the eye of the eye, or just the book I, and, and those books take you through uh, scales of consciousness, levels of consciousness from zero to a thousand. Uh, for example, Jesus would have been a thousand. The Buddha would have been a thousand. Um, 
at the level of 200, you're approaching um, integrity. So over 200, you're an integrous person. Now, most of the world lives under 200, right? And he talks about all of this. And, you know, how do you get, how do you move yourself up scales of consciousness? There are a lot of people out there trying to teach people how to do that. But the truth is, while you can have a quantum leap, I mean, you can jump from 40 all the way up to 1,000 if you became enlightened instantly, I suppose. Um, but um, most people only move a few points in their lifetime. Uh, and David Hawkins will go through exactly kind of what all of those, what if you're at what level of that scales of consciousness, what that means for you as an individual, how you actually impact. You know, if you're at the level 200, he'll tell you, you know, you're, you're probably, you know, you'll work two or three jobs at a certain point. And he'll, he'll tell you about your relationships and everything. And he's, he obviously is fairly accurate what he does. But he also does things like a kinesiology so he can muscle test all of this. Truth, that's what truth versus falsehood is. He can say, is somebody being integrous? Are they telling the truth? And you can actually muscle test that because innately we know um, what we're trying to figure out scientifically most of the time the human body can already discern truth from falsehood. Uh, so David Hawkins did a wonderful job taking us through the scale of consciousness through kinesiology and truth and telling truth from falsehood um, and helping us to realize that, you know, if, if you wanted to actually improve your you know, level of consciousness, you know, everybody like thinks you know, I have to go meditate and I have to go live in an ashram for 15 years, do all these things. And he's, and he gets down to the, what if you're just a kinder, gentler person? You know, what if you actually just exhibit niceness, you know, in a cruel world? Uh, mm. Really, that's all it really takes is just being aware of how you are interacting with the world, not how the inter you, the world is a reflection of yourself. So if you're if you're walking around and you're angry all the time, you're going to get anger back towards you because um, that's all you're going to see in the world is anger. But mm. if you're a loving person and you you give love, guess what's going to come back to you? And he talks about all oh, of that. That's funny. That's funny. Uh, when I went to New York, um, I was so excited to find an angry New Yorker, um, you know, like somebody who was mean because I had heard that they're not very nice. And everybody was so nice to me. Uh -huh. uh, and I was like, what the heck's going on? You know, the one person who was rude to me is because I had lost my subway ticket and I was trying to sneak through the bars and they wouldn't let me, um, you know, and they were just doing the right thing. <laughs> so, um, no, I, I ran into a bunch of very, very pleasant, good people. Um, and I also love that you talk about the book, you know, it's hard to read at the same time. I mean, there's a context to all that. All books are hard to read if you can't read, um, you know, and there's also layers of wisdom and you have to be willing to dive deeper if you're going to get to the depth, I mean, let me yeah. just John Madden people to death right now and make it as, as simple as, as can be. Um, you know, the book, the effective executive, for instance, is one of the most overlooked books of all time for business. And I heard Warren Buffett say it was one of his favorite books for business. I heard Bill Gates say it was one of his favorite books. And near the same week, I heard LeBron James talk about the book. And, oh. I, and I went and looked at the evaluations and I was like, why doesn't this have more, reviews um you know like and then i started thinking about rich dad poor dad and how effective and important that book was but i realized well wait a second not very i bet i bet very few people can read this book um and i started to read it and realized whoa this is a very difficult book to read um that doesn't mean the book isn't valuable or important um we we do need more simplification for the eight billion but if you want to have an absolutely exceptional life you have to be willing to do absolutely exceptional things above and beyond what 
average uh, an average life might look like. Um, and again, I know we're approaching elitism and and realities that 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 we might want to um, that the masses might want to talk about. But at the same time, again, you have we all have the opportunity to level up and level up comes from finding resources that are treasures that are not commonly talked about. So thank you for putting David Hawkins on my, my radar. I look forward to diving in deeper and, and see more about him. Um, you know, one Jackson, you make a really important point there. You know, you, you talk about the masses, right? What is it that the masses, they, they need to be able to digest this information also. Unfortunately, the masses aren't looking for it. Right. Right. That's you, correct. You have to be the person that's willing to step out of the masses. It's it's those people that stepped out of the normal, the people that stepped out of being average or just being one of the masses and said, I'm I can do better than what the masses are doing. And we you look yeah. around the United States today. Right. Being normal. What is normal? It's, you know, you're redefining what normal is at any given moment. Normal. You look at normal in New York City as opposed to normal in Austin, Texas, for example. There's different right. normals and right. different cultures. Things in Malaysia were not the same as they were here in the U.S. And, you know, I went to when I first moved to Malaysia, I moved there, you know, kind of with this idea of you know, I'm from America. I, you know, I've, I've done all these things in my life. And here I'm coming to Malaysia and I'm, you know, I have this I, 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 I prejudged. Like it's like everybody else does. I'm, right. I'm going to be able to come here and, and you know, uh, the personnel here, they, they won't be as educated. They won't. Man, it was I, I was. I ate a whole bunch of humble pie, man. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, any, well, anybody who says they're not prejudiced, George, is ignorant to the realities of existing outside of their own bubble. Yeah. You can't. That's a survival instinct. Um, and it's one in which when you're in a new place, like you're talking about going to Malaysia, you don't know what you don't know. And you can't. Yeah. You have to be willing to experience it, but you have, but you're going to experience it under the conditions of safety, which you were raised with. So go ahead, George, continue. No, no, that's absolutely. Um, but that's what I want. I just want to make that point of, you know, you want to read books that are more difficult because you want to to rise above what normal actually would be considered. To get away from the masses. Don't don't think that's because everybody else is doing it that it's right. Right. You yeah. can. If you raise the bar, you're going to bring other people up with you. If you lower the bar, you're going to bring other people down with you. And what would you rather be doing? Would you rather be known as that person who is bringing people out of that or dragging people further down? And I believe the people who are listening today uh, are people that would be looking to step out of what's normal and be away from the masses. And that's, you know, again, it goes all back to, you know, you do that by who you're being, not first. Yeah. And if, if you drive your actions from who you're being then you'll you'll you will break away from those masses. Yep. If you find yourself um, attracted to and constantly publishing memes and part of meme culture, you're probably in the mass mentality. Just gonna say yeah. that right there. Leave that right where it's at. You're gonna hate me or not. But exploring the gaps between leadership and training yeah. also means exploring the gaps between uh, knowledge and resources uh, that that also exist out there. Um, uh, two books on that note. One, the boy who harnessed the wind, um, right? There's this young boy in Africa who ends up becoming fascinated with the idea of a windmill and producing electricity. I had no need to do that in my life. Um, you know, I, I get to harness that every single day. Um, yeah. And so it wasn't a focal point of mine. It wasn't a passion of mine. I, I got to harness other things in my life with, based on what my lack of resources were. And that kid ends up going to MIT, 
um, you know, after after years of struggles and his own culture is saying, what the heck are you doing wasting your time with this stupid windmill project? Um, you know, now he's a hero uh, to that that society. Then I have a friend who years ago is at Lifetime Fitness and he brought me this book. He said this book changed my life. And by the time I'm trying not to laugh at the title when he, he gives it to me and it said, like, how do I get myself to do the things I'm supposed to do? You know, mm-hmm. and I, I'm thinking there's no way this book could possibly help me. Um, and out of, as a courtesy to him and being early in my leadership development stages too, I went ahead and read the book. There's absolutely nothing that book provided me of value. Um, <laughs> I did not need that book at that stage of my life. I was already doing all the things that I needed to be doing to progress. So I actually reached out to the author to just thank him and find something productive to do with it. <laughs> so that was just sending a gratitude memo. Um, and yeah. I say that laughing, but also humbly realizing that again, we're all at different stages and what we need of our, of our lives. And while, you know, the book on success of a rhino, and the 20th iteration of Rich Dad, Poor Dad might be the thing that touches another 100 million people who've never thought that way before. We, to guide, to guide our lives, we've got to be looking at what are our gaps as leaders? What are our gaps as trainers? Where do we need to focus in order to uh, improve our level of influence if we decide to, be, decide to be influential? Now, if you're a visionary, and naturally, you have a new level of influence that you're striving to achieve. If you're an entrepreneur, you have a sphere of people that are waiting on you to level up as an influencer. So let's take a turn for the worse on this same subject, though. And George, you've, you've had a lot of leadership experience. What's your worst leadership experience ever look like? Uh, so I would have to say there, there was a time when, uh, when I, actually, when, when I first moved to Malaysia, you Having a security mindset and then moving to Malaysia and especially having a military security mindset. You know, I went there and I was like, you know, you guys aren't, you know, you're not, you're not doing things properly. You're not hard enough. You know, your security people, you don't, first of all, you don't respect your security people enough to give them the power to do their job. Um, and I said, and then the people who are doing the job, you know, they, they need to be doing it more stringently because when something happens, they're not going to be ready. And everybody, when I started this, People would come to me and be like, George, George, la, this is in Malaysia, la is a big thing. They say la after a lot of sentences, George, it's okay, la. You know, we don't have those problems here, la. Don't worry about that, la. So I actually found myself after a few months kind of falling into that, like letting my guard down a little bit. Like maybe they don't have these problems here. Maybe I'm just being, you know, too, too stringent on everybody. And maybe, you know, I don't want to be looked at. I don't want to be seen as the bad guy here, right? Everybody's going to hate me for telling them that they need to be prepared and, and the things they need to do. Well, I went on vacation. I came back to the U.S. And while I was on vacation, my, my, my partner called me and he said, hey, we just had a, a massive theft. It was one of the biggest thefts in Malaysian history. And uh, my guards were involved in that. And some of my guards got hurt. Um, so I, I, I took that very personally. Like, you know, when I got back, when I got back, sure. When I got back, everybody was like, oh, George, we're so sorry. We Now we see that you were right. These things can happen here in Malaysia. Um, but it didn't make me feel any better. You know, being right doesn't make it right. <laughs> um, right. I was wrong because I let go of that. And, I, and I, 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 I didn't do everything that I could have done to make sure that people were prepared for that because I started falling into that trap. And as a leader, you can't let that happen to you ever. Wow. That's... 
That's so powerful. Um, I, I take that personally as well. Um, you know, I, I'm a, it's, it's one of the hardest things to stand for is the fact that 96% of businesses fail within 10 years. Um, and the 4%, they don't, they're not the successful ones. The 4% survive. Yeah. And there's a very, very small percentage beyond that, that actually win. And, you know, it's, it's not common for me to be told Jackson, your, your systems are too complex. Um, Jackson, you're trying to, to, to provide too much to people. Jackson, you're, you know, you're the, and, and what, what I've learned to key in on and, and try to maintain my focus on is, oh, and this is again, super applicable to all you visionaries. It is so easy to lose sight of your ideal audience, catering to the common audience. Your common prospect is not your ideal prospect. And I see so many business owners fall into that trap of changing their wording, changing their service for the person they come across most commonly, which is equivalent to, you know, selling what sells versus yeah. selling what's right. Um, and, you know, and, and so there's, there's, a, there's a huge need for me to make sure that I'm not creating uh, concessions and the quality of my service and the process of, um, you know, trying to, to make room for the opinions, the feelings, the pain of those who, who don't want to do the hard path. Um, right. There's a, there's a difference between having that, um, you know, emotional appreciation, um, and empathy for people who don't want the hard path Yep. and doing what's right. Um, so I appreciate you saying that. What, what about your best leadership experience? You know what, before I do that, what are your, what are your thoughts on that, George? You, you had a chance, you went back, now you've got, now you had the opportunity to implement um, the training that you wanted to due to, uh, you know, the, the catastrophe that occurred. Um, how do you, how do you go about, how'd you go about changing the culture um, for better? And the next time you came across said scenario, what'd you do? How'd you, how'd you get people to buy in? So you, you just use such an important word that, is often misunderstood. It's it's overused and, and way misunderstood. That's culture. Um, in a sense, the, the 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 situation makes your job easier because now there's a mindset shift, and now people say this is possible. Okay, it is possible. This it never happened before, but now we realize this is a changing world, and this can happen now. So that makes it easier for you to go in, and then when you start talking about the security measures you need to take to make sure these things don't happen, um, they start to listen. And because I was doing that with my guards, then they can look at that and say, okay, well, you know, the guards at the front gate, they're not very well trained either. Can you help us with them? Um, so they, they kind of expand that. You know, the one thing I, I guess the biggest takeaway I can take from that is you, you do what you can control, right? I stopped doing the things that I can control because I fell into that trap of oh, maybe they're right. Maybe nothing's going to happen. Um, and, and no, I couldn't have stopped that situation from happening completely, but maybe if my guards had been better prepared, they could have had called for backup, maybe a little better. Maybe the local police could have responded a little better. Um, but after it happened, being able to go in, give the training without the resistance to the training, to the information I was providing, that was key. Now, fast forward several years, I'm doing crisis management training in Singapore 
And now I've got those stories that I can tell people right. that you have to understand everybody right now, you're all looking around. You think this is normal for things right now. And if I give you a situation that's highly unlikely, then you're going to think, well, why I don't really need to listen to this or since it's so unlikely, I'm not, you know, we don't necessarily need to waste our time talking or preparing for that. But then you give them stories of, of examples of times when everybody else thought that same thing, but when it happened, they weren't prepared the way they could have been prepared. That gives you the ability to go in. I think, I think that's the most powerful thing is to be able to go back later and say, guys, I thought that once too, that this wouldn't happen. Because when you're honest with people, when you're open up a little bit, be a little vulnerable if you have to be, right? And, and admit that I made a mistake because I fell in the same trap you're thinking about right now. Mm-hmm. And I'll never let that happen to me again. And I'm here to tell you right now, I don't ever want that to happen to you. That's why we have to talk about this. You move people's perception of it can't happen to it's possible. And now everybody opens up to, um, okay, maybe we should listen to this. Because when you look at, if you take a, if you take a quadrant chart, and you look at the things that are possible, low impact, possible, high impact, not really all that possible, low impact, and then not really possible, but super high impact. People need to start spending more time on that. This is highly unlikely, but it has a massive impact on my organization if it occurs. Instead of spending all your time down on the likely to happen, low impact stuff, let's let's make sure we take care of all this stuff and, and just make sure they're spending time in that upper right quadrant. Appreciate that. I'm taking some notes on it. What about your best leadership experience, George? What's that look like? Seeing people get promoted. That that report to me. Um, you know, I for years I ran a command center with a company called Freightwatch, and getting into our organization wasn't easy. So one of the places people started was in the command center. Uh, so I, in the interviewing process, I was lucky enough to be able to bring in people who were actually, they were more qualified than than being a command center personnel. They could do operations and they could be program managers and things like that. But I, I can, I don't say convince them. I I proved to them that if they came to my organization within my organization, in this organization and let me work with them for a little while, I would get them advanced into other parts of the organization. So when, when we grew as a company, we didn't have to go outside the company to look for people to fill these key spots in the organization. I had them in my, in my organization and I tried to develop them the best I could so that when they were ready to move on to these other places. And I think that that's probably one of the best things I can do for an organization is when people come in, again, it's, it's just you be the best you can be to help them be successful so that when they get their opportunity to move out, they're ready, they're prepared. Or, you know, a lot of, a lot of, I'm, I'm listening to a book right now um, called The Leadership Pipeline. And it's amazing how many organizations aren't prepared for succession planning when it comes to leadership. Um, and a lot of that is you get a lot of leaders still today who they're afraid um, to bring people into the organization or, or keep people around them that could replace them. <laughs> um, and, and that, that, and then when something happens to them, either maybe they get fired or, or maybe they move on. Or a lot of times, sometimes they can't move on because the organization says, I can't move, I can't move George out of that position because I don't have anybody else to take it. So I, you can't get promoted because you don't have anybody to take your spot. So, um, you know, it's, it's having people around you who are ready to take your spot. So rather than being the kind of person who's afraid of having people around me that, oh my God, I can't have this person. They're too good, man. They might take my spot if I'm not doing well enough. You're, you're, you're living your life in fear. And if you live your life in fear, you can never grow. So you have to surround your people yourself with people who are better than you so that you can actually grow. And, um, you know, you'll get better results anyways when you do that. But really, ultimately that's, that's to me, 
and it's not just one experience that I've had. I've had several experiences, bring people in and I get to watch them develop their careers. And I always tell them, if you end up being CEO one day, just remember how well I treated you when you reported to me. So, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I, um, I'm running this leadership seminar uh, where they interviewed the dean of Brigham Young University, Idaho. Um, his name is David A. Bednar. And uh, he said that he was trained by his mentor within the first week of him being hired, that your number one first responsibility is to find your replacement. Um, you know, go start looking, start paying attention, start putting in plans in place immediately for that next person. Um, and that's, again, such a foreign concept for people to consider and realize. Um, but there's great there's great power and depth in yeah. in creating that stability early. Um, and and it it makes sure that the vision doesn't get lost um, in the in the process of of trying to not only just just lead from a mechanical standpoint, but again, grasp the entirety of the vision of, of what you're striving to build. So uh, if you were to if this was the last opportunity for you to share a powerful lesson with other visionaries, what powerful lesson can other visionaries learn from your experience, George? You know, I. I think in, in all the material that I read these days, or even if I go to seminars, everybody's trying to be, they all seem to be getting so tricky these days, right? I want to give you some new secret that if I give you this secret, you'll be able to go out and accomplish X. And I'm here to tell you that, that there are no secrets. Um, and, and everybody's saying, oh, I've got this hack for you. And I, I don't like that word. I, I have a hack. I've hacked. I've hacked this, I've hacked that, and now I can give you better you're security results. Guy. Yeah, you're supposed <laughs> to hate that word. <laughs> <laughs> I had to put those two together, but yeah. So, but, but you know, hack is when you hack something, I guess in a way, yeah, that's not necessarily always a positive thing, but it's still the value is always X equals one, right? You did it. It's not like thousands of people did it. It's not where the variables are X equals a thousand. It's X equals one. Just because you did it doesn't mean everybody else can go out there and do it even though you claim that anybody can do it if you did it yourself. So if you look at the, the, you know, these, these secrets, we're not seeing anything new anymore. When you read, when you get a brand new book on something, people aren't saying anything new. They're, they're saying the same things that we talked about in, in old texts. And, and we're just applying those right. fundamentals to our current experiences. So what you do have new is how I applied a certain fundamental to my experience in which gave me a certain result. And now I can help, you know, people get this result. So the one thing for people who are, especially if you're a visionary and, and we need visionaries because we need visionaries to break away from the normal too, because, you know, what, what, especially when you're looking at politics, you know, a visionary in politics would be a person who goes in and competes with complete transparency, never puts down their opponent, you know, goes in with nothing but good things to say about their opponent, but they can also lead from who they are. And that's something you don't see anymore. Everybody's trying to lead from the other person's not as good as I am. Um, right. no, no, other, no reason why I'm that much better. I'm just telling you because they're so bad. You, I have to be better. Um, so visionaries today, get back to your fundamentals. Stop worrying about all the little tricks and all the things that people think that they can do to get away with whatever shortcut. Um, you know, it's a great time of year for football. So you look at you look at a playbook. of, of not these for a Cowboys fan. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Don't no worry. 
No, they <laughs> you look at these playbooks that some of these teams have and they're super thick, but the fundamentals of football, blocking, tackling, passing, you know, catching, they're 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 what you have to do. And a lot of times when a team fails, they miss a tackle, right? They didn't catch it, they drop a ball then they're, they're wide open. They they miss on the fundamentals. So and that's really when I talk about practice leadership, that's what I'm talking about. Getting back to the fundamentals of leadership, getting back to the fundamental of who you are, and then using that to go out into the world from a higher self, from your higher self, so that you can impact as the most people that possible in a positive manner. Absolutely. Uh, they called Tim Duncan the big fundamental. Um, and people joke that, that he won't, you know, he'll be forgotten because of the low key. He's not going to be forgotten. The dude's a champion of the highest levels, yes. um, you know, and, yeah. and uh, so many of the great uh, sports athletes out there have extreme respect for him. It's been said that he has, he's the most, he has the highest win percentage of any athlete across any sport as wow. well. And it was his ability to rely on those, even if that's disputed and he's number two, you know, like, okay, cool. Um, you know, he's number <laughs> 10. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, you know, no problem there. The, but his consistency, was staying focused on those basic fundamentals. Uh, I appreciate where you're coming from on that in terms of the secret or the hack, et cetera. Um, a lot of that is returning back to core wisdom um, that has existed for centuries. Yet core wisdom, you know, if you're learning about wisdom for the first time and you're 30 years old, it, it might feel like a secret to you. It might feel yeah. new to you. It might feel like a life hack. Um, but realizing that, that you're not being left out and that's kind of what I hear you saying, George, is, is you're not being left out. This is available to you. There's lots of opportunities. Uh, the guru who tries to hide that in the form of a marketing trick uh, may not be your best ally or, or, or guide in life if they're making it seem like they're the only one who has access to said information. You might consider yeah. uh, finding leaders who are more abundant and more open to helping you see that these sources of wisdom exist elsewhere too. Um, that's what I, so I catch, go ahead. Hey, you know, Jackson, I don't know this for a fact. I'm just gonna throw this out there, but I'll bet you if you went back and looked at the people around Tim Duncan, right. I'll bet they had some of their best years of their career with it when they were with him. Absolutely. I hate to look at the interviews on that because uh, everybody will yeah. say Tim Duncan made Manu Ginobili and, and Tony Parker's careers and, uh, there's, of course, some truth to that, um, you know, and but yes, he absolutely elevated everybody around him. Everybody would would probably agree with that. That was on his team. Go ahead. Yeah. Keep hitting that. No, but absolutely. When you talk about leadership, it's the same way. If you go out and just be the best leader that you can be by default, especially in organizations, some of the people around you will have the best part of their career will always be when they were with you and, and doing the things that you were accomplishing as a team with them at that particular place. Um, you know, and it'll go back to if they can go off and do that somewhere else, or if you leave and they can continue that, that's going to be your greatest success ever. Absolutely. In fact, one of the best leadership talks I've ever heard, um, and I've listened to a lot of them and will continue to do so. But one of my absolute favorites for all of you in is Greg Popovich retirement talk regarding Tim Duncan at, at, at Tim Duncan's retirement. Um, it, it is just masterful. There's so much that can be learned, not only from the way that 
that that from the example of Tim and all that Tim did to make his career a success for everybody involved, but also from the standpoint of Greg Popovich as a leader of that team and how he um, how he focuses on what you talked about, George, which was the advancement, the success of his team members and how important it is to him that the people that he leads rise up and have the best opportunities in front of them as well. Greg Top Popovich is also known for being a very nasty interviewer um, with his uh, with the journalists that he talks to. Um, but most of those journals, journalists probably, I think a lot of them love him more than a lot of the other interviews that they that they go through because of his authenticity um, and his way of showing up. So uh, the the news and in, in some part loves to dramatize uh, what's out there because we pay attention when there's drama. Yep. Somebody else fire. We want we want to see the fire. Uh, yeah. You know that's what we all want to come running towards. But as a as a leader, as a trainer, it's very helpful to, um, as George said, pay attention to how can I help the person that's in front of me. It really comes down to that one question: How can I help you? Um, so this was an awesome interview, George. I really appreciate you. Uh, sharing it with us. If you'd like to follow George, um, you can find him on LinkedIn. That's how I believe I got in contact with George the first time. Um, and of course, he's got his his book available. We'll have other resources on the landing page uh, for his episode. And if you'd like to apply to be on Vision Pros, uh, don't hesitate to hit the button that says be our guest. Learn about becoming a, a Vision Pro podcast guest yourself, sharing your vision, your leadership skills, Uh, And, you know, as far as exploring the gaps further between leadership and training, that's exactly what George does and and what he's striving to help organizations with. So uh, don't hesitate to reach out to him. George, any final thoughts you'd like to add before I wrap up? Yeah, I'd just like to tell you that I really appreciate, again, your time today. I appreciate your audience uh, listening. And just, you know, the intent of the interview was to be able to have a great discussion and provide as much value as we could to everybody who hears this. So hopefully... As, as people are listening to this, there's something they can take away from this and, and implement within their life that will make something better for them. Even if it's just, you mentioned the word earlier today, I didn't get a chance to mention it, was gratitude. Um, you know, just being thankful for everything that we do have and um, finding something, even if you're having a crappy day, find something to be thankful for to change kind of your, your, your mindset a little bit. Because if you're if you're in that Zig Ziglar you call it that stinking thinking, then then you can't come up with solutions. Find things to be grateful for because if you're having problems in your life, you won't find solutions to those things until you get out of the energy that created those things. So you have to, and very few problems are created in gratitude. So it gives you a completely different mind shift, and you can start finding real solutions to problems when you're coming from that perspective. Well said. You heard it from George Wheeler, Vision Pros, and we will see you on the next show. Everybody have a fantastic rest of your day. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for being here today. I'm really happy that you tuned in to Vision Pros Live. I'm looking forward to seeing your reactions as these episodes continue to move forward. This is going to get more and more fun. We'll have more and more engagement as well. We'll invite people to participate in the show. And thank you for giving us your time and attention. Have an excellent